following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Christopher Smalls Angelos. And this week, we are back off the hardwood with Jamie Sire, television personality, uh, former ESPN Sports Center anchor, and Smalls, now food mogul, uh, travel mogul, and still a, a lot of very funny stories, and just as down-to-earth of a person as I think we've met, because... She is so successful, but she's gone through so many different things in her career. And I just was totally impressed with, you know, her demeanor and her authenticity and, you know, just how honest she was with us about different things. And I do think, you know, we have media people on and I'm sure sometimes our coaching friends kind of just look at it or or coaching listeners and they're like, yeah, this one's not really for me. But as we talked about a good bit in this episode, Smalls, the parallels between Jamie's career and kind of what you get in as a young coach I mean, they're they're there. There are a lot of parallels. I was actually surprised at how many times you and I kind of jumped in and were like, man, this is very similar to to being a coach and being on that track. Yeah, I even equate her situation that, you know, obviously public with ESPN, letting go a lot of people at once. That was, you know, very public at one time. And I equate that much to, you know, being in a situation, you're a rising coach and, you know, you seem to you know, gain this head coaching job and you're doing pretty well, but then there's probably an administration change or, you know, the school wants to go a different direction or there's issues up top that you really can't control and you're caught in the crossfire and you're at the top of the mountain. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, something happens and you're not, you don't have that job anymore and you have to almost reset yourself and go a different direction. I think that's really what she's doing right now. And she's figuring out what she wants to do for her career and like you said, the authenticity of her being honest with us, and that's the type of stuff that coaches are with us as well, because everyone is going through ups and downs and, you know, your career isn't always going to be at the peak or the high, but, you know, it's really ends up being your choice of where you want to take it. And Jamie was, you know, so honest and awesome, but at the same point, she was funny and personable. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to talk to her as well. Yeah, I do think the part about her losing her job at ESPN being similar to coaching was was one of the bigger deals about the episode. And she gave us really good content on that, exactly kind of took us back to how she felt that day, how people around the uh, studio felt, and then, you know, what was next for her. But, you know, you get in a situation where, and just a, a little small thing she talked about was owning a house around, I think it was in Hartford, West Hartford, she said, but then like, you know, you, you're ready to buy a house and you know, you guys know as coaches, like, you know, you rent and rent and rent and rent. And finally you're like, all right, good. I'm on the front end of a contract somewhere. or I just got my first head coaching job. I'm going to buy a house. And then all of a sudden something happens. It's out of your control. And now how do you, how do you sell that house? And, and, and how, you know, what do you do with it at that point? And, and those little things, it, when you're trying to make it in media, she graduated from Washington state and moved back home and was recording things on VHS tapes in Great Falls, Montana. So then she gets a job in San Diego and then she goes to San Francisco and then has an opportunity to go to ESPN and and plays that out in her career. Like, do I want to move from San Francisco where I really like my life? I have great friends. I love the city to Bristol, Connecticut. And I think coaches go through one or two of those decisions 
in their life all the time. Very few people, maybe our former boss, smallest friend, Dumpy, he was like, oh man, I'm going to work in Philadelphia for 45 years and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> but very few coaches have that situation where you're not sitting there and looking at the people in your life and being like, man, is this the right move for me? Even though it's more money, even though it's higher profile. And some people would say like, yeah, of course you got to make that move, but it, it's not always that easy. It's there's not, it's not so cut and dry. Like, yes, we have to go here. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed hearing kind of about her her rise and what she started in. And, and she has a lot of other interests. And then you and I nerded out with her about the Food Network for a good while. I mean, that was for, for two guys like us who we think we're foodies. She's a real foodie. She, she eats at a lot of different places, goes to a lot of different places, documents it all. Uh, she has a blog, E is for Eat, which is very cool if you haven't looked at it, recipes, pictures, things like that. But yeah, we, we nerded out about that too. And then uh, there were a couple of scenes in this episode where you and I were very unprofessional and just totally lost our minds laughing. You know what? I don't really, you know, what, uh, as much as, yes, we do this podcast, but I don't really consider myself a professional. Yeah, that's true. Just that's, yet. That's fair. That's so, fair. You know, I'm going to keep riding that wave until someone really, you know, tells me I got to stop. But yeah. We, we lost our mind because it was just funny, though. It was. Like, a lot of the stuff was funny. And, uh, you know, the Food Network stuff, I mean, you guys opened my eyes a little bit. Uh, I'm still recovering, and you guys will find out why on the episode. But uh, thanks for telling me Santa Claus isn't real. Yeah, Food Network stuff was fun. Great Great Falls, Montana city review. Uh, I When we get, went into the episode, I thought that Great Falls, Montana had like 27 people in it. So I figured we'd go to like McDonald's and get like a black and white milkshake that was limited edition there. But she, I mean, she shows some 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 heat with the Great Falls, Montana city review. But really good episode. And like I said, uh, for coaches out there that listen to us, like take a listen to this too, because she offers some insights and and analysis on what it's like when, you know, you're you're moving up really fast. You become... You know, not necessarily, I don't think Jamie would call herself famous per se, but at least like relevant. And we talk about that a little bit. And so when that happens, what happens when the rug comes out from underneath and, and how you handle that? And and also just her tips in, in terms of making it in her career, because she did grind it out before that and she's figuring it out now. So I think it was really, really good. Uh, back to our koozie and merch giveaway. Same deal. Koozies get in this week on Wednesday. So Anybody who writes a review and leaves five stars, screenshot the written review, email it to us at createyourshot at gmail.com with your address, and I will send you a koozie free of charge, no shipping, nothing like that. Uh, you can also DM me on Twitter at createyourshot, at createyourshotpod on Instagram, and createyourshot on Facebook. Other than that, Smalls, not a whole lot going on in our life. Uh, one of my favorite interviews so far, and... You know, guys, I, I really I thank everybody who listens and I, I really want to make sure that we get some more reviews and, and get some more ratings to drive us up the charts so we can get some more merch. We want to do some shirts, want to do some hats. And so, you know, being higher up the charts gets us more advertising. You get to hear Smalls show for Blue Chews more if we do that. So just for that sake, if you don't want the koozie, leave us a review and five stars that you love here in Smalls ad reads. And, you know, that'll get us some more sponsorships and allow us to do some different things, maybe go on the road and interview some people live. We've got some some pretty cool guests lined up. But other than that, as always, thanks for listening and enjoy this week's interview with Jamie Sire.
Welcome all. I'm Jamie Sire, currently a uh, TV personality, uh, was on the Food Network Beat Bobby Flay, I believe, this past week um, and has been hopping around the globe and, and eating at every good restaurant in, in Brooklyn and all around the country. But Jamie, thanks for joining us. Really happy to have you here. And as we kind of get going into September and summer's ending, you know, how's your summer been? Um, it's, it's gone by so fast. I feel like I say that every summer, (laughs) don't we all? But, um, no, it's been, it's been great. It's just, you know, it just goes by too fast. I've, I've been kind of all over the place with weddings and bachelorette parties, my 20 year high school reunion, um, you know, and a couple little trips here and there. Um, yeah, I feel like I blinked and now it's September. It's mid-September now. That's so crazy. And is this is this the worst time of the year? I, I like the fall. I mean, people love the fall, but I, I don't know. It does feel like people have a little bit of like just like really hardcore Sunday scaries at the very like beginning. I guess after Labor Day, you just kind of feel like, oh man, now the summer's over. I, I traveled all around the country, but yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I disagree with everybody saying summer's over at, at Labor Day because, like, technically. Like scientifically, it's not even over until September 22nd, and then we get some nice days after that. So I, I'm really against everyone trying to end summer after Labor Day. I'm, I'm firmly opposed. I'm just putting my my statement out now. <laughs> no, that's that's good. Uh, Smalls will get mad at me if we just keep talking about summer. So obviously, <laughs> a, a lot of people that are listening know you know know your your sports background as an anchor at ESPN, and then uh, before that in San Francisco. But I'm kind of curious how you got started in that. In, did you grow up playing sports? And, and how did you kind of get involved going into your time at Washington State and then getting into sports media right after that? Um, I mean, I played sports growing up a little bit. Nothing nothing crazy. I played a little, you know, bo- basketball, volleyball, um, you know, in, in elementary and middle school and my freshman year in high school. I was I was pretty short. I mean, I still am um, <laughs> five four. So, uh, yeah, I mean, volleyball and basketball were probably not the best uh, choices for me. But um, I also skied. You know, I, I grew up in Montana, so I did a lot of skiing. We didn't have any like competitive options for that in high school. So, uh, pretty much after freshman year, I kind of switched gears to more of a you know speech drama that kind of focus. Uh, but I would say, just as far as my interest in being in sports broadcasting that really started at WSU um, because I, I I knew I wanted to be on TV. I thought I wanted to do news. And I think just being at Washington State and even though we were not very good at most sports when I was there, um, it was just, I guess, like the camaraderie and like the way that everybody kind of comes together, especially for the you know football games, even when we were terrible. Um, it was just... I don't know. It was just like a cool experience. And I kind of saw, you know, how that affects people, how that brings people together. And I think it was, you know, after my junior year that I kind of decided that I wanted to to stay doing TV, but kind of switch my focus into more sports broadcasting. So you begin your career as a sports anchor in Montana. What was it like doing sports in your hometown? And did you want to go home after school? Was that always the plan? Or, you know, how did that come about? I did not want to go home <laughs> after school. Absolutely not. Um, I had done two internships in my hometown at the same station where I, I ended up starting to work in my first job. So I kind of felt like I had put my time in and I was ready to move on from that small of a market. Uh, that said, I also studied abroad my senior year, my last semester of my senior year. So I didn't really 
you know, have the chance to be applying for jobs, you know, in my last couple of months of school. Back then we had to actually send out VHS um, tapes. I, I sound so old, um, but I literally did that. I literally had to like dub it onto a VHS, like go get a padded envelope and mail it to news directors, you know, all over the country. So I wasn't doing that when everybody else was. So when I got back from Europe and from graduation, uh, I came back home and actually started working at Applebee's <laughs> bartending. Yeah. And then, just went, yeah, exactly. Two for 20. Unbelievable meal deals. You know, coaches yeah. know about these deals because perfect margaritas, you know, mudslides, everything. Um, no, I, I started doing vacation relief at my station where I had interned. And then they ended up having an opening for a morning and noon news anchor that wasn't even for sports at that time. And I just kind of took it just so I could get, you know, get some more reps and get some more stuff for my tape. Um, and then about six months after that, uh, our weekend sports guy decided that he was leaving. So I basically went and asked my news director for the job. And he said, you know, if that's what you really want to do, we're going to miss you on the news side, but, you know, happy to, to switch you over to sports. So I, I actually only did sports for about six months in Great Falls before I moved on to San Diego. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I think it was good experience because, you know, I carried my own equipment. I shot my own highlights. I edited my own highlights. I wrote, like, you do everything. Uh, there were days where I would get up at seven in the morning to go shoot, you know, high school tennis and still have to anchor the sports cast that night at, you know, 1030 or whatever it was. So it was good experience. Like make, definitely makes you appreciate when you get to bigger markets and you have people to do all those things for you. Um, but I'm glad I only had to do it for six months. Uh, but it was, it was interesting. You know, my, my, my parents got to see me on TV every night. Uh, you know, people I grew up with, you know, same thing. So it was, it was good and bad. It was definitely good in, in the financial sense. Um, because, I was not making very much money. My sister was a lifeguard that summer, and she was making more money than I was. <laughs> See, now we, so okay. we, we can relate to this, Jamie, because you know, your first <laughs> jobs in coaching, like you're spending money to live that you're not getting back to be on staff. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, when you put it in perspective, though, that, that an hourly employee, you know, sitting in a chair, making sure little kids... Getting a suntan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, lifeguard's the best job. We all saw the sandlot. Like, it's the best job there is. So. Yeah. That that puts it a little bit in perspective with media. I'm I'm surprised to hear that though that you were anchoring yeah. and making that little money. Oh yeah, I mean, so the good thing was I was living at home and not paying rent and not paying for laundry or really any food or anything. So uh, no, it was good. It was it was a great place to start, and especially since I had interned there, I kind of I knew the drill. I knew everybody that worked there. Um, you know, I knew I knew the teams. I knew all of the tiny little towns that you had to drive to, to, to shoot highlights at times. So it was, it was definitely a great place to start and I don't regret it at all. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, moving to San Diego for five years and then San Francisco, were you doing a lot of different types of, you know, reporting and journalism and what projects most engaged you and got you kind of interested and excited? Um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of all over the, all over the map, you know, uh, San Diego, I don't even know how I got that job to be honest. Uh, it was a huge jump from, I think great falls is market like 190 or 191. And at the time San Diego, I think was 26. 
So generally there's a couple of stops in between those two. Uh, so I was, I was fortunate that the job I applied for, they were specifically looking for somebody to cover high school football. Uh, so it kind of worked out since I looked like I was still in high school (laughs) at that point. Um, and I think, I think that was one of the reasons I didn't feel super intimidated to even apply for it. And so when I first got there, I was doing a lot of just, uh, high school football reporting and they kind of morphed into just, you know, general sports reporting. I was doing feature stories and, you know, covering charger practice every week and, you know, Padres at times and, and then a lot of the high school sports as well. And I think as I kind of moved up from San Diego to San Francisco um, and, you know, the different assignments I got there kind of was a lot of reporting at the beginning. And then it kind of morphed into more like live shots and daily game coverage and then some anchoring as well. I love doing like feature stories. That's what I love the most. And I've, you know, it's kind of a bummer because the way, I mean, I love the way my career has progressed, but at the same time, I definitely got away from doing as much of like the storytelling and the feature reporting. I did a lot of that in San Diego and a little bit of it in San Francisco. And then basically none at all once I got to ESPN because they kind of, uh, for the most part, kind of split you into, you know, two boxes, either you're a reporter or an anchor. Some people are able to do both, but uh, for the most part, you're, you're one or the other at ESPN. So it is kind of a bummer that I, I, I didn't get to do as much of that because I did really enjoy it. And my producer in San Diego always said that I, like, he thought I was the best uh, feature reporter he ever had. So. What was it like going from, uh, obviously, Great Falls is, you know, like you named the media market, but Pullman, Washington's not huge either. And I mean, I'm curious where you studied abroad, so you can tell me after I ask the question, but what was it like going from smaller areas to a city like San Diego and then San Francisco, like two major cities? How quickly did you acclimate and, and kind of what did you, I, I'm guessing you immersed yourself in your work, but I'm just curious, <laughs> like for you, you grew up in a small town. What was that like? Um, for me, I loved it. I, I studied abroad in Barcelona, which was another big city as well. So I think I kind of got my first taste of it there. Not only a big city, but a different country, different culture, different language. So I always, I always thought it was exciting to, to move to a new place. Um, you know, it's easy to, uh, to jump into work right away, but I also, it was fun to just, you know, make new friends, learn a new city. And I kind of did that at Washington state as well. So I think I, I got a little bit of practice there because going there from Montana, I didn't know anybody there either. So Pretty much every time I've moved, for the most part, I haven't either haven't known anybody or, or known just very few people. So I don't know. It's it's kind of exciting. It's part of the job, and so if you're not if you're not okay with that part of it, it's it's definitely more difficult. I think uh, I think it's really cool because I've lived so many different places, and I literally have friends all over the country, all over the world, and. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just a, a fun feeling to think about that. I mean, that, that's a, a little bit of like a parallel to coaching as well is that, you know, if you're really in this and you're taking it the whole way, like you're working a ton of different jobs in a ton of different cities as you try to move up. And mm-hmm. I'm curious just for you, I remember this, the, the, the Giants, I don't know, this is 2014 maybe when they beat the Royals. Was that the last time they won the World Series, 2014? gotta be right. Uh, yes, that was 2014. So, yeah. That was after I had already. Right. So you go to ESPN, but I, I feel like I remembered 
watching, you know, maybe on TV, like you were back in San Francisco and like you seem to really identify with the Giants, still pretty important to you. And I, I thought that was interesting. Is is San Francisco a place that that's pretty special to you? Like that specific Giants team because you covered them, that it felt like, hey, I want to be here to watch this happen. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, growing up in Montana, we don't have any (laughs) There's no professional team, so you kind of just pick one. I never really did. And, you know, when I was in San Diego, I definitely, you know, liked the Padres and rooted for them. But I think, you know, like kind of like you said, being in San Francisco, that was a a special place for me um, just professionally, personally. And I got put on the Giants beat in 2010. And, you know, of course, that was the first year that that they won the World Series. So I definitely identified with the team with the city and you kind of you kind of get swept up in it a little bit and you 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 do become a little bit of a fan. And uh, Bruce Bochy, I'd also covered in San Diego. So I ended up covering him for 10 years. Uh, He's he's a great guy. and, And I don't know, I just I felt some sort of it was the first time I guess I've had a real connection to a professional sports team. I obviously always had Washington State as as my college team, and that was a, a legit you know team to have as be a fan of. But um, but that was a, kind of the first time that I had a, a professional team that I felt like was kind of my own. I guess I asked the question because you know as an anchor and as a reporter, you're you're supposed to be non biased and. Obviously, we're, we're Temple guys, and your former co-host on SportsCenter, Kevin Nagandi, is as proud of a Temple alum as there is. Like we've what Kevin Nagandi yeah, went to Temple. Exactly. Like, I mean, he's on the show. He's on the show actively rooting for Temple against other teams, which is interesting. And, and I, I wonder, you know, when so you you move on to ESPN, and did you have a moment? where you were like, man, I made it or, or, or what, like, how do you react as somebody who's like, I'm going to the worldwide leader in sports and, you know, and, and you're still relatively young and you're just all of a sudden you're covering the Lily world series, which is awesome. And then bang, you're on the morning sports center. Like, did you take a moment to like breathe and be like, this is unbelievable or kind of like, what was that feeling like? Um, I don't think you have a chance to breathe at ESPN, honestly. I mean, they kind of throw you into it right away, which is great. I definitely, the first time I anchored SportsCenter, and it was just like a Sunday, 3 p.m. SportsCenter on ESPN News that I'm pretty sure, you know, only my family watched. But um, the first time you hear like the, you know, da-da-da, like that, and then you have to be on TV right after that sound. Um is definitely, I guess that was kind of the moment you're like, okay, I'm here. Because when I first got to ESPN, they still had a show called Highlight Express, which has since been canceled. Uh, but that's what they used to kind of put you on when you first got there, which was great. It was a great training ground. Again, no one really watched it. So if you screwed up, you only had a couple of people sending you hateful tweets. But uh, <laughs> no, so I mean, I didn't do sport. I didn't do a sports center until I'd been there for about like two months, I think. Uh, so definitely that was a moment. But other than that, you know, you just have to, you have to work and bring it every single day because there's so many talented people there. There's so many talented people that want to be there that are ready to, to replace you in a second. So you definitely, I think you just have to, I, mean, it's, I don't, I don't even remember like having a second to kind of 
be like, wow, <laughs> I'm here. It was just more like, all right, hit the ground running. What's next? Yeah, for sure. And we talk a lot about on this podcast, like fears and doubts. Uh, you know, that's not brought up enough, you know, within the coaching profession because you have kind of this bravado or, you know, you have to be some sort of way. But that's what happens. Like people really have insecurities and doubts. So how, what were your fears and, you know, doubts kind of entering the business and did they change? What was it like starting at ESPN? Um, did those come back up or creep at all? Um, I mean, I definitely, I, I definitely had doubts about going to ESPN and it wasn't necessarily about like, can I do it? I don't ever think I was like doubting myself. I was just doubting what I, would I like it there? Um, because that was, I know that a lot of, a lot of sportscasters, uh, you know, coming up through the ranks, like that's, you know, that's it. It's ESPN. That's where I want to work. That's like the end all be all for me. It wasn't that because I do, you know, kind of have, as you guys have mentioned, like I love so many other things in addition to sports and in addition to my career. So for me, I like moving to central Connecticut, I was, I was more scared about that, about just being like miserable and bored and that kind of thing. So I actually, I almost didn't take the job. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I was that close to not taking it, but I was definitely hesitant. I was pretty much asking everyone I knew and respected, especially in the business, what they thought. And I was kind of expecting it to be a 50-50 split. Like some people say, oh my gosh, it's ESPN. What are you thinking? And the other people saying, well, you have a wonderful life in San Francisco. You just covered, you know, a second world series team. You're the Giants beat reporter for, you know, for the local network, you know, you know, stay in San Francisco. But I think only one person told me to stay in San Francisco. Everybody else was pretty much of the opinion, you're crazy if you don't go to ESPN. And they're right. I mean, in the end, it was 100% the right call. I just was more worried about my my lifestyle balance. I loved I loved San Francisco. I loved my apartment. I loved my friends. I, I loved the team that I was covering. I loved my job you know, everything about it, um, was, was good and comfortable, but, you know, sometimes you need to do things that are uncomfortable and that was definitely uncomfortable to move across the country to, to Connecticut, but it was in the end, you know, a great move I, for I me. I think Bristol just in general gets kind of, it, 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 people seem to be like, it's all or nothing, right? Like we hear people say like, Bristol's a miserable place to live. There's nothing to do, but you're not that far from, like, you're not super far from New York, but you're not super close, I guess. Hartford's probably the closest like city, but, and then we hear people that really like it, but I think your point about your lifestyle and is it the right job for you, even though it seems like a dream job is, is really important. And Smalls knows this and some of the people that listen know, but I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to take a job in the NBA. Oh, wow. They would have moved. Yeah. Like move my wife and I, we were actually getting married and they wanted me <laughs> to move two days after the honeymoon and I didn't do it. And, and I think I was in the same boat as you, Jamie, where you're talking to all your people, all your contacts, and you're like, hey, is this right? Because your life is good. You, you're comfortable where you're at. You feel like you don't necessarily need to take a shot. And, and I didn't do it. Um, but I know that that's a hard part in really competitive industries and is deciding like, well, if I don't do this now, do I get another opportunity? And if I don't get another opportunity, am I okay with that? And did that kind of go into your thought process a little bit other than the lifestyle? Like, hey, if I don't take this, someone else is going to, and am I comfortable where I am 
if I'm if I'm there for you know Forever. a couple more years, five, yeah. ten more years. Yeah, I mean that definitely went into my thinking, especially once I, you know, was able to kind of step back and hear all of, all of this advice from different people. I, the way I ended up looking at it was, I think I I signed a three year contract, my first contract with them, and my thought was, you know, this is like grad school. Um, you know, you just go and do it, and if I hate it, I can leave. You know, I can go do something else, but at I'm going to end up coming out of it with a great education and a lot more tools and skills than I had before I got there. So I kind of treated it like that. Like if I hate it, you know, I can leave in a couple of years, but just, you know, put my head down and, and do the best I can. And, and I ended up really liking it. So it, it all worked out. I mean, I, I didn't love the area. I, I ended up living in West Hartford, uh, which is actually a really cute little town. There's some great restaurants and a lot of my friends, I worked at ESPN, uh, lived in West Hartford. So it was good. I mean, you, you, you have your friend group that you meet. Everybody's kind of in the same boat at ESPN. Um, not a lot of people are from the area. Most people aren't, I would say, especially the on-air people. So you definitely have your group of friends and you make it work. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not terribly far from New York. It's not close enough to live in New York. Um, in yeah, you can't go back and forth. Yeah. Unless you're Keith Olbermann and, and you get right. to pay for Yeah, yeah. Time. You get like yeah. a car service or something. But yeah, I uh, I went as often as I could. Um, I, I mean, I actually got a... I, everybody gave me a hard time a lot because I, I would leave, especially when I was doing the morning show, I would leave Fridays at like, you know, as soon as we got off the air, basically, and go down for the weekend. I'd probably do it a couple times a month to the point where I would get in my car on Fridays and Google Maps would pop up and say, it's about two hours to New York right now. <laughs> like, okay, well, that's weird that my phone knows that I'm going there on Fridays. So, uh, but it was, it was just kind of my way to, you know, keep my sanity and have some fun with friends and, you know, eat good food and come back and do it all over again the next week. <laughs> what what uh what was the competition like at the network? I mean, I, we've heard that it's I don't know the right way to frame this. I also should say I'm not necessarily taking a shot at Keith Olbermann cuz he doesn't drive and I don't want him to go on a tweet <laughs> rampage, although, you know, his stuff with Donald Trump takes up a lot of his time, but I uh he he doesn't actually drive, so he the car service serves a purpose. But uh going back to the competition at ESPN, you, you say it yourself, you work with so many talented people. Did you feel like you got pushed to be the best you could be? Absolutely. I, I, yeah. Oh, okay. And and what was that dynamic like? Because I know there's like, you know, James Miller wrote the, those guys have all the fun book and all these stories come out and Deadspin loves to just push their own agenda. But like, what really was it like from a competition standpoint and a, and a work ethic standpoint there working with, you would assume, I guess, 95% of the people there are the best at what they do. Right. I mean... And it wasn't, it wasn't like a cutthroat thing. Like you were, you know, like trying to, I don't know. Like there was no, like, I didn't feel like there was like backstabbing or anything like that. It was just right. everybody you got pushed because people were talented yeah, and you wanted to live up to that level of where the network was and where other people were. hundred percent. And you knew that if you did a good job and people saw you doing a good job, then you'd have, you know, more of a chance to get on a better show and, you know, continue to, to, to work your way up. I know that there, there was definitely, you know, jealousy at times, um, you know, people getting opportunities that had been there a shorter amount of time, but, you know, it was just, it was kind of a, a product of, you know, your talent. And also, you know, it was subjective to whoever was making the decisions, who they liked, who they preferred. Sometimes the women got 
got a better opportunities because there were fewer of us. Um, so, you know, some, I, I know some of the guys probably felt at times like, why are all the girls getting, you know, elevated a little bit faster than some of the guys. Um, but at the end, at the end of the day, we, we all kind of rooted for each other. I mean, there were definitely moments early in my ESPN career when you didn't have a, a home as we would call it. Like you didn't have a show that was yours. And so the schedule would come out and you would, the first thing you would do is look at your schedule and see which shows you got for that month. And then you would go and look at everybody else's schedule and, and see, see which shows they got. See yeah. which shows everybody else is getting and like, oh, why are they getting more of that show to fill in on? Or why do they get to do this assignment and that kind of thing? But I'm, I was told early on there, like you, sh- you try to do that as, as least amount of possible as possible because it'll drive you crazy. So I tried not to do that as much. Some people were crazy about it. They would like study the schedule and see who had which assignments. I would kind of glance at it and be curious, but I tried to just focus on my own work. I mean, that's, I mean, Smalls and I have gone through that for years. The people that you came up with in coaching and you worked with, like you see that they got a job somewhere and you're like, how the hell did that happen? Like this person's an <laughs> idiot, you know? And I, I've talked about that on the show before. Like I feel that was, that's like one of the biggest things that I've had to work through is like how it's not important what other people do. It's important what you do rather than like worrying about it and being like, I know I'm better than that person. And hopefully like, why did this work out for them? Like, who did they know? Like whose dad is a coach somewhere that got them a job? And like, it's impossible. Like it's, it's just so hard, especially in a, in a space that's so public. I think. Yeah. I think, I think you drive yourself crazy if you, if you get too caught up in what other people are doing. I, I read an article, I don't know, it was a year or two ago about like the, the top 10 people that you should unfollow on social media. And one of them was like, like if you hate follow anyone, you know, so if you follow somebody that like is also in the business, but has, you know, like they have better opportunities and, and like every time they're, every time their stuff like pops up, you're, you get so mad. You're like, oh, how did she, how did she get that? Like, that's so unfair. And then I finally just unfollowed all those people and I felt so much better. Like I, they would still somehow cross my feet every once in a while via somebody else. But for the most part, I for, kind of forgot about those people and it didn't make me as upset anymore because I wasn't seeing it in my face every single day. You know, like, I think it's just unhealthy to constantly be comparing yourselves to others. I think you kind of have to just, you know, focus on yourself and the job you're doing and be really proud about that. And hopefully other people will recognize that at some point. Yeah. And that's super tough. I mean, just the competition, the competitiveness inside of me, um, inside of a lot of people, obviously you want to check in on other people. And I know we do it within coaching a lot. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm texting Tyler that that guy's a complete dope. I'm out of coaching and I should get that job, but <laughs> that's just how it is. Uh, but I want to bring it back to, uh, you know, you, your final time at ESPN. What was it like to be let go from ESPN? Take us through that emotional, like, that's got to be, you know, waves of different stuff going on. And yeah, then how you formulate your next plan. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it was probably yeah, one of the no, worst. I'm sure it was. It's just it was like getting fired. Yeah. It was, job, like from yeah. basketball. That's what I mean, I'm relating it to. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, yeah, it was, I've never been, I've never been fired. I've never been let go. I've never been laid off before. Nothing. That was the first time. And I mean, so I'm lucky that I'm able to say that, right. That, that, that was the first time. Sure. Um, we, I mean, we knew it was coming. We had been reading the articles, uh, and we knew it was 
probably going to be that day. And then while I was on the air that morning, we saw that um, I think it was Ed Werder was was like one of the first ones. Yeah, he was about about yeah. his being laid off. And so we saw that during our show on Twitter because we were always constantly, you know, checking Twitter during the show just to for news and and different things. Um, so we saw that and. It was weird. I, I ended up I ended up sending out a tweet that during the show that was just kind of like, you know, whatever happens today, just like remember that, you know, these are real people like losing their jobs and like don't take like joy in, in what's happening today. Because just there are definitely there are definitely people who are like, Oh, I didn't like that person at ESPN. I'm glad they're Yeah. Or not even that. It's like, oh, like ESPN like serves them right, like they're too political or blah blah blah, like whatever they're their thought about ESPN was. So they're like, Oh, they, these people deserve it. And so I had tweeted that not knowing that I, I mean, I knew that I could have been part of the layoffs. I did not know at that moment. So it was kind of weird that I did that. And it got retweeted actually several times. And, and I got so much like me, I got really mean tweets back, like not even people that followed me that just had seen it retweeted. And just kind of that, what I just said, like people were just so happy to see this happening. ESPN just because they didn't like ESPN. And I just thought that was really unfortunate that that was the reaction that people had. Um, but yeah, I walked off the set and I was talking to Serena, uh, my friend who used to be on the show with me. And I, all of a sudden, like my face just went blank and she was like, what's going on? And I, I was getting a phone call and I turned my cell phone around to her and she saw who it was. It was one of our bosses. And so like at that point I just knew and I answered and you know, he told me who it was and that he needed to meet me in some like obscure hallway. And I was like, they had like the, they had like the, uh, the paper down on the floor. Like you're, you know, uh, I'm the Sopranos. No, like equating it to, I'm equating it to hard knocks right now. They're just like, Hey, it's, it's like Ellie. It's like the little yeah. five, two white guy. And he's like, I'm the assistant finance guy. Yeah. Yeah, like he's yeah, really good dude, at his job. That dude looks like a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mean to hate on anybody, but he No. Looks- so it was I mean it was good that it was like somebody I knew, but then they basically take you into like a, an office and there's an HR person there. But I mean I at this point I had already been like, you know, ugly cry, like hyperventilating for like a good fifteen minutes before I got there. Like everybody that was on my show, I came around I remember coming around the corner and they just saw me like like sobbing and um yeah it was tough i'm like i'm like bringing back all these emotions but um no it was tough no 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 no, it's okay okay. what was your first like move getting out like once you're you're out and let's say you get back home now there's people who are you know they need time to more like almost get under the covers and just not come out of their apartment for a little bit. Some people are like, I got to go find a job or find what I'm doing next. Some people might hit the bottle. What did you kind of do? Well, I first drove to New Haven to pick up my boyfriend because he was already on a train. Um, He lived in New York at the time and he was coming, he was already coming to visit. Um, And so I went and picked him up and we got lunch and, and came home and I, you know, I was, I was texting and calling people just to let them know, uh, before they, you know, found out in the media or whatever. Um, and he kept asking me what I wanted to do. And I said, I, I did nothing like we don't have to do anything. Um, 
And one of my friends, good friends, she was uh, one of our makeup artists at ESPN and she had been messaging with them. And so they kind of like impromptu planned a, a party <laughs> at our, at my house um, that I'd only owned for like six months at that point. Yeah, of course. Um, like, yeah. This is I, honestly exactly like coaching. Like you buy a house, yeah. you feel like you made it. And then all of a sudden you're I like, know. great. Now I, I have know. this, now I have this fucking mortgage and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with it. Like, <laughs> I think that's like the one thing I'm, I'm really not bitter about. Like I understand it was a business thing and, and hopefully it ends up being, you know, a better, a, a good thing for me. I mean, well, well that's obviously remains to be seen, but well, you're on our podcast of- now. So yeah, <laughs> well, yeah I, made, I made it. Uh, <laughs> don't call it a comeback. Uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, that was the one thing I was kind of bitter about. I was like, I just bought, like, I had never owned property, never really owned like anything, always rented. And after I signed my contract, I thought, okay. You know, now now's the time, and yeah. and this this thing kind of just like fell into my lap. This house, and so I just felt like, oh my gosh, it's a sign. I, sh- I need to buy this house. Um, so that was just like the one thing that I just really regretted <laughs> because I mean, I guess it was a good experience. I, I I can say I was a homeowner for a year, but um, I don't think I'll ever own a house again. <laughs> but um, but no, anyways. So they basically like people brought over alcohol and pizza and food and we just all like hung out at my house and like cried and drank and um you know it was good it was it, it was a, a, cath- it was a cathartic experience cathartic. It was That's good. It was really- tyler i knew tyler yes. would come with the big words <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna call it cathartic anytime i i get drunk from now on. Um, <laughs> all right hold on let's take a let's take a quick break <laughs> Sports are back, and there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, Bet Online. NBA playoffs have started, MLB's in full swing, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer all continue, and Bet Online has the best odds and lines for the upcoming games and matches. If you need more than that, Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. They also have poker tournaments, hundreds of live casino games, and the best props in the business. So visit BetOnline or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. When you do visit, don't forget that promo code PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E, for your online sign-up bonus. That is BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. So cathartic experience, but you now are in a, a pretty unique situation that you you have an opportunity to explore some other outlets. Um, And you've been on the Food Network a good bit lately. As like a floor reporter, I think on Iron Chef Showdown, you've been on Food Network Star, Beat Bobby Flay. Let's talk about that that side of you. And and let's like really dig in because Smalls and I, I I don't know that you're probably the, other than John Rothstein, you're probably the second biggest foodie we've had on the show. So, you know, what's the show prep like? How easy was that sort of transition? I mean, what? I'm just curious that that world a little bit. What what's it like? It's the TV's got to be different, right? Uh, I mean, TV's the same. Like it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're kind of you know performing in a way. Um, that part that part was the same. I mean, actually, a lot of it was very similar. I I had I had actually done. The epi- the first episode of Beat Bobby Flay and the episode of Food Network Star I actually taped while I was still at ESPN. Um, and they just hadn't aired yet, so um, I was a little bit already familiar with how they kind of produce things. Uh, Iron Chef Showdown 
was surprisingly a lot like very similar to prepping for like a, doing sidelines for a football game because you know there's a ton of research they actually similar to ESPN they had researchers doing like food research basically on on what the secret ingredient was going to be they had a whole you know document on that like the history of that and like different uses for the secret ingredient they had research on if the, the particular chef had requested something unusual. They gave us background on that. I mean, so I was literally like studying. Um, you know, you're trying to do interviews while they're in the middle of cooking, um, trying to get in and out really quickly, just as you would like with a sideline interview. Um, so I don't know. It was kind of, you know, the competitions there. You've got like a home team and, and that kind of thing. You, it was actually like eerily very similar to like a sporting event. So that part was, was a, a fun transition for me. Um, I, I'd say the biggest difference is, you know, there's parts of those shows that um, it's obviously taped and there's parts of it where you are memorizing or reciting stuff that somebody says in your ear. Um, and I think all of my live experience, whether it was live reporting or doing, you know, live anchoring shows, like you, you have to obviously get it on your first try. Like you don't get to be like, oh, I screwed up. Like take two. Um, so I remember the first day on Iron Chef showdown when it got to my part that and most of it is as it's live. So that actually was very helpful as well. But there are a few parts that like the introduction of the judges or like explaining the rules they tape either before or after just so it's not you know they're not missing any of the action during the cook um so i i did those in one take and i think they were like really surprised because the floor director was kind of like uh okay i i think we're good <laughs> we got it and i was like oh okay cool I, I would say that, like peeling back the layer on food shows and I, I watch a good amount of food network smalls does too you know like he's a big diners drive-ins and dives guy but i, I love you know chopped and you know we, whoa 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 <laughs> don't pigeonhole me on guys <laughs> we, i'm saying smalls here here's my commitment i watch like, literally everything well, well like obviously like top chefs on bravo but like i'm i throw in univision kids and watch top chef junior i don't know if you're that committed to seeing people really cook yeah, the, the kids really aren't that talented to me. You're a college football guy. I'm like a pro guy. Like, I like to watch the professional. Well, the thing with the cooking shows is I remember like peeling back the layers on Chopped and, and hearing that like the people were on set for like 12 hours and that like the chefs didn't get to eat the food like they like it would be done and they'd run over and get like a quick hot bite before they took the stuff over to the judges table. And I remember being like crushed when I was like 19 years old and figuring out that it wasn't like this perfect production floor because like trying to cook dishes at the same time as like run cameras around the floor was like one, probably not that safe, but also two, just, it's just not possible. Like you can't plate food and get it to everybody in time. And I was curious when, like when you were standing there, did you, did anything happen that you were just like, man, this is wild. Like this is so interesting that you wouldn't have seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just it was more interesting to me to just see how they how they did it so that it was true to the competition aspect, but also the fact that you don't want to be serving judges, you know, cold food sitting there for a couple hours. So, um, I mean, the two shows that I have most experience with would be Beat Bobby Flay and, and then Iron Chef Showdown, and 
Beat Bobby Flay is it's I think it's really cool the way they do it. And this was all Bobby because he wanted he wanted exactly that. He wanted the judges to be able to eat the dish like as soon as it's done, like the way it's you know supposed to be enjoyed. So if you see if you watch next time you watch Beat Bobby Flay, you'll see in the first round the chefs actually prepare four dishes of of whatever they're making. And then the second round they do six. And that's because so in the first round there's just the two co-hosts that that taste the food. So they take you straight to like a back room um with the hot food and you actually like taste it back there. You can actually like talk about it with your co-host and um and with like the producer and director. And and then when you come back out for the actual like camera part, you kind of just like fake take a bite because um, you've already eaten it. You already know what it tastes like. You've already basically decided which, which dish is winning. Um, and they do the same thing for the judges, except it's, you don't know which dish belongs to which chef. But, but I mean, the idea is that they're tasting it right as it is finished. And so I think it's more fair to everybody because you're not eating something cold and, like, I don't know. There's some of those things would be really terrible. <laughs> cold. So, wow. So um, Tyler, I got I to gotta thank Tyler for starting this off and then you just like, you know, really finishing it off. Just tell a kid that Santa Claus isn't real too because <laughs> you guys crushed my, crush my dreams. I'm not well, putting my like, teeth under the pillow. I don't even. I think, a, I think it's a great thing though that the, they're not trying to. I don't I'm know. Mr. Spencer's police guy. So you thought like you thought that like it goes straight over to them, and then when they're like whispering in each other's I mean, ears, like I mean, that's, that's, that's what we really that's what we see on TV. You, you don't think that every <laughs> single time, like I see Alex Gornishelli deep in thought, that I don't think she's actually formulating the right thing to say. I didn't know that she already <laughs> knew. You know. I mean, I don't know. I mean. I don't know how Chop does it, so I I, I honestly can't speak to cool. that. But uh, cool. I'll just so assume, then, assume they do like <laughs> ten shows a day, and they're just all thirty minutes. So don't worry. No, yeah, Bobby Flay does two a day. I know that. And Iron Chef, we would do one round. Like, well, I mean, my my show is a little bit different than the traditional. Yeah, because it was it was like a special uh, kind of like, yeah. Two rounds. Yeah, it was like two rounds. So um, so they would shoot the rounds on different days, just because. It was scheduling and and that whole thing like it was just impossible to do it. I mean, you're you're a you are somebody who cooks a lot. Like, I'm curious, what was it like being? You know, it's kind of like if we were to go to another practice and watch like Mike Shashevsky, you're like, oh man, this guy's amazing. Like, you're in front of all these awesome chefs. Like, were you starstruck? Is it different than sports in that regard? Um. Yeah. I mean. I definitely was a little starstruck, I, I would say. Um, with sports, it was so funny because I think because I had been covering it in, in that world for so long, I would never really get starstruck by athletes. Yeah. Also, it, athletes it are all losers in general. Like, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> like, like, athletes in general just are not. Once you meet your first, like, famous person, you're like, okay, these guys are, are relatively similar. Like, Yeah. Well, it was funny because when I was working in San Francisco, I used to get invited to these um, – these press junkets for like sports movies. So there was a, a guy down in LA that would do junkets specifically for like anything sports related. And so I would get to go to these junkets where you get to interview and you usually have like three minutes with like one of the actors. And I would get super starstruck doing those because like I got to interview like George Clooney and John Krasinski one time for Leatherheads and 
Um, I'm trying to think. Not their, not their best work. Else. I'm sure the interview was good. No, <laughs> not their best work. no, but like not their best work, but like it's still George yeah, Clooney yeah. and John Absolutely. Clooney. I mean, so, who's I mean, better who's looking the in most person? handsome man in the world? Yeah, who's so. better looking in person? Now John Krasinski's a heartthrob, Smalls. He's he's doing a quiet place where he didn't talk the whole movie. He's Jack Ryan, like. Guy was Jim on the office, and now he's a superstar. <laughs> dating, dating average I Pam. Love, right I love him. I love him. <laughs> Did you oh say God. dating average Pam? Yeah, I mean, like, that's really, like, that was John Krasinski, paper salesman to stud. So he built <laughs> a huge transition. <laughs> uh, no, they were both uh, good looking. Uh, Clooney's short, though. Like, a lot of them are short. Yeah. Like, Tom uh, Cruise is, yeah, like, 4'8", four, four, right? Krasinski yeah, yeah, yeah. legitimately, like, six. No, he is tall. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's for sure tall, but the rest of them are very short, I, I would say. That's all right. John Clooney lives in, like, a villa in Tuscany for, like, six months every year. And, like, I, I mean, that would be the ultimate goal of my life would be to do that. So, George Clooney's doing okay. Last question from me before we, you know, jump into a couple segments. What are your ultimate career goals and how are you goal setting right now? What What's next for you down the line? Um, that's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Um, I wish I had the answer to it. I, I really do wish I had the answer to it. Um, because that's really a major source of stress. Well, right what are you, what are your hopes and dreams? You know, I always like to ask that um, question, hopes and dreams. Then how are we going to attack it? <laughs> hopes and dreams. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I would love to do, uh, more in the food and lifestyle TV world. I love doing sports also, but, um, you know, I felt like this, this layoff was kind of a chance for me to explore that. Um, unfortunately kind of after the iron chef stuff, uh, there hasn't been a lot of progression in that. I've worked with production companies trying to, you know, we've done pitches and pitched to food network and a couple other networks. Um, nobody's kind of like jumped at it yet. Like the, the feedback I've gotten is like, we love Jamie, you know, we just, we want something, an idea that we're more in love with. So it's been a, it's been a humbling process. It's been a frustrating process. Um, so I would still love to do that. I'm not going to give up on that, but like realistically speaking and like paying the bills in New York city speaking, um, I will probably end up going back into sports in some capacity. Um, but even that, I don't really know what that means. I, you know, like the, a lot has changed since I got laid off. I mean, it's only been a year and a half, but it's, you know, the, the business is changing. The landscape is changing like constantly so fast. And so I don't know what's going to be available and open. And I don't know how it's going to affect me that I haven't done it in, you know, a year and a half. Um, so scary. <laughs> it's it's really scary. Um, but I I've always kind of had the opinion like it's all gonna work out. Um, and so I I still tell myself that every day. Um, I think it will work out. It just I think the unknown and, and getting closer to the time where I have to figure that out is a little bit nerve wracking. What a I I could have twenty five more questions, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to limit it because your time is much more valuable than Smalls and I's. And like I told you earlier, I'm running on very minimal sleep, but we're grinding it out because that's what we do in coaching. Um, do you do you practice stand ups and stuff like that? Still, does like is that a big concern for you in terms of like get, like obviously you were doing silent reporting with the Food Network, but is that something that you need to stay sharp at? Because it's different, obviously, than what you were doing when you were anchoring too. Like, yes, you did. Obviously, you were doing stand-ups on set and everything, but you were also seated and whatnot. But in terms of reporting, is that something that you have to stay sharp? 
Uh, I mean, definitely you want it to be sharp, but I, I, I think I've done it for so long. Like I don't, that, that, that part doesn't concern me. I'm more concerned. Like what are other people's like perceptions of that? Oh, like I haven't seen anything from her in like a year and a half. Like it, it's not as much about my performance. And in the meantime, I've like, I've hosted a bunch of events, um, which I think helps like doing live events and, um, you know, MC gigs and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, that keeps you sharp. And I mean, I think that's more difficult to stand up in front of a crowd of like three or 400 people than it is to look at a camera and, and speak. So, uh, my hope is like, that won't be the issue. It'll just be more of like, like, re- like you know, relevance for like lack of a better relevance. Word. Yeah. No, that, that's like the exact where I've used that word, you know, for sure. Like a, a bunch of times in the last year. Um, yeah, like staying relevant, I think has been you know, a challenge. Um, and I've tried to do that with, you know, I've been lucky that I have, you know, the food network stuff. Um, you know, social media is obviously a platform for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it'll work out. It's just, it's just still a little bit, um, it's just a little bit nerve wracking, but you know, I've, I mean, traditionally, I mean, you asked about goal setting traditionally, I've kind of just said, okay, this is what I want to do. And then I do it. So this is kind of the first time that 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 hasn't exactly happened exactly how I you know drew it up in my head, but that doesn't mean it's a, a bad thing. All right. Um, if in case anyone hears any like dog barking going on in the background, there's a puppy play date going on on the first floor of my house right now between a like a like a four month old <laughs> uh, golden retriever and then and my dog because we're going to be dog sitting for for uh, three weeks. Which not sure how we got signed up for that. Nice. Not sure how we got signed up for this, but. <laughs> I'll make sure to Instagram it, but in case that happens, there, there is a current puppy play date going on oh, on the first floor of my house. Sounds <laughs> fun. Dude, yeah, we're gonna... you are getting up there, buddy. Yeah, it's puppy bad. puppy play dates, you're married, it's, you got a whole bunch uh, it's, of it. All of a sudden you blink and you're like, man, what the what the heck happened? Like, it's not good. Uh, we'll go into coach speak and Smalls, I'll do the read on this one because it's a pretty long quote. So we know that you're not a big paragraph can't, reader. Can't especially read. not. I have very, <laughs> Jamie, we'll <laughs> move back to Mount Me. I have a very difficult time reading. So somehow <laughs> I, you know, got a college degree, but you know, that's the big thing. Just, on this show. just one degree. We're going to do one quote. This is a, a guy that's probably very near and dear to your heart. Uh, Mike Leach, a guy that we love talking about yes. on this podcast. <laughs> because the, the like we get this quote and I just kind of want to hear as a reporter how you would respond if you asked a question and then you were given this response. So Mike, Le- Mike Leach, any stuff on that is so closely guarded. I don't know if you saw Harry Potter, but in the basement of this building, it's guarded by serpents and wild dogs and things like that. <laughs> and you can go try and find the secret to that. But chances of survival, always a risk. Heck, it took until movie five before Harry got it done himself and he had magic powers. So this was a reporter trying to figure out injury information on the quarter on their quarterback a couple of years ago, uh, whose name I Luke Falk. And this is what Mike Leach said. So as a veteran reporter, first of all, what does this mean? Second of all, what what do you do? Like how do what do you do with this quote? I mean, you just have to let I mean that's a that's gold, right? Like that's that's like that's a sound bite. Like I, I would rather have that than, you know, a cliche answer from a guy, you know, that you've heard a million times. Like, I love that. I, you just have to, with him, you just have to laugh, um, or like steer him back on topic. Um, you know, I've done a night with Cougar football, which is one of the fundraising, um, events for, for Cougar athletics. I've done it, I think 
four years in a row now. Um, and there's a part of it that I always have to interview Coach Coach Leach on stage and uh, kind of about the recruiting class. And I don't know, I think it was this year, and I asked him a question, and he went off on like a four minute tangent, like not even close to answering my question. Yeah. <laughs> and I, at the end of it, I just said that. Like, I think I basically said that. Like, that is not even what I asked you. <laughs> like, and, like, re-asked so, like, this it. Is, but. This is my thing. Like, do we think Mike Leach actually watched all eight Harry Potter movies? He seems more like a book reader to me, but he's also such, like, an – he's a different dude as a coach, like, unlike anybody else. There's a chance that he sat there and watched eight Harry Potter oh, movies. I'm sure he did. I mean, like, he's – I mean, he's, like – I mean, he's so interesting. I mean, he's like all about pirates yeah, pirate, and yeah, like, he like wrote, I think he wrote a book about like Geronimo he did, or something. He like, he's, <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's an interesting guy. I love him. Like, I love that he's our coach. Like, I think he's a perfect coach for Washington State. Like, you kind of have to be a little crazy to, to like spend that much time in Pullman. So, um, no, I, I love him. I think, I think it's great. I think it's hilarious. And, um, I wish more coaches were, like a little bit more, you know, kooky and yeah, fun. Yeah, like that. opened up a little bit instead of yeah, you know, for kept sure. Inside. But you know, we're we're not going to talk <laughs> in our next segment. We're not going to talk about Pullman, but we have our city review, which okay. is obviously my favorite segment. Okay. You can hear my voice. You know, I'm perking up a little bit. You know, Tyler's not talking about puppy <laughs> blade eights anymore. I'm in my zone. I thought the so, listeners would like to hear that. Just, just, just so you guys know my situation. Like, <laughs> that's how serious this is. I'm skipping a puppy play date. You guys tell me you don't want to watch a four month old golden retriever romp around with a weak terrier? Like, I don't know why we weren't invited to the puppy true. play date. Studio, so. studio small. <laughs> Listen, we got Great Falls, Montana. And we're, we're going there for a weekend. Me and Tyler, you're taking us all around. All I want. All I want to do, I want, I want a weekend filled of activity, but mainly I want three restaurants, two bars, and one thing we have to do. We call it an activity, but it can be anything you want to do. Show us in Great Falls, Montana. Take it away. Uh, all right. So Great Falls, Montana, if you are from there, you, I mean, I would say I'm going to give two restaurants that I like definitely go to. Every single time I'm home and my boyfriend just walked in the door. He's going to roll his eyes at this first one. Um, it's called the El Commodore. <laughs> and um, it is a like a, I mean, I guess it's technically a Mexican restaurant, but it's like Tex-Mex, but they have like these fluffy tacos and I've never had like these fluffy tacos anywhere and they're delicious and they're super cheap. There's like margaritas there for like $5. And uh, my sister and I are obsessed and we have to go there every time we're home. Um, now, other Great Falls people might argue with you and say Taco, Taco Treat is like the place that they would go for Mexican. Um, either are fine. Either are not actually Mexican food and would not be like considered that, especially in California. Um, but I love them both. Uh, but El Commodore wins out for me. The second place that everybody goes to is Howard's Pizza, um, which is, I don't even know what style of pizza it is. It's like very thin. It's almost like St. Louis. Have you ever had like St. Louis oh, style pizza? I haven't. It's kind of like cracker thin. Yeah, it's it's very similar to that. They like cut it at like in oh, square, okay. like it's a round pizza, but it's so cut it's in like, squares. Yeah, it's like, like Domino's make- thin crust. Yeah. It's super thin, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> by the way, by the way, at, at my reunion, they served Howard's Pizza and Taco Treat. So, um, 
So those are like the nostalgic. Also, although last time we were home, we went to this barbecue place um, that's uh-oh, new uh-oh. in Great Falls. So they're, they're getting some new places. It's very exciting. Um, called Smoked, and it was a barbecue place, and it was actually really, really good. And they, the owner claims that they only have, they're the only ones in the state to have like they serve like prime, uh, prime grade like beef as their as their brisket. So. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I've eaten at like a lot of different, you know, barbecue places across the country. So no big deal. Humble. I was definitely impressed. I was definitely impressed. So I would say those three. Barbecue expert. Um, Two two bars. Like if you go to Great Falls and you do not go to the sip and dip, then you are the perfect name for a Great Falls, Montana bar. That's what I was picturing in my head. The sip and dip. Yeah, let's all go to the sip and dip. Is it your take? Is it you're taking well, you're sipping a yeah. beer and then you're patting a fat lip, or are you getting like a, a no. ice cream cone while you get the beer? Not neither. Oh, so, okay, what uh, we got? This is definitely not what you would picture in Great Falls, Montana. It's actually a tiki bar, um, and it is in it is located inside the O'Hare Motor Inn. Um, and so you actually have to go in the hotel lobby, go upstairs, and behind the bar there's like these big glass windows, and it. It looks into the the hotel pool, and they actually employ, I think, seven nights a week, um, mermaids and and sometimes mermen wow. to swim around. They swim around behind the bar um, in mermaid and mermen I think I outfits. know my activity. And I'm dressing up like a mermaid. Yeah. And I'm going swimming. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> and um, they have this woman named Piano Pat who's – like definitely in her eighties and she plays the, um, the organ and sings and they all, all the songs sound the same. Um, it's like bad, bad Leroy Brown and brown eyed girl and things like that. Um, there's a lot of Johnny cash. Um, she only plays three nights a week now. So you have to definitely like time it when she's going to be there, but it's been featured. Like, I think it's been on 60 minutes, uh, like a long, their claim to fame is like a long time ago. I think it was like 96 GQ magazine did this. Um, they did this uh, like magazine spread where it was top ten bars in the world worth flying in for, and the sip and dip was number one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that was like a joke, but like it definitely is like their claim to fame. GQ I mean, it's published awesome. like a sarcastic article of the top ten bars. Like, yeah, I mean, I no, I think it, sounds I mean, it awesome. is pretty amazing. It's- and they have a oh they have fish bowls that you can get um you have to give your ID because like they had people stealing them for a while and last time I was there actually this is a funny story so last time I gave my ID so we could get a fish bowl and then when it came time to get my ID back they come over and tell me that they accidentally gave my ID to somebody else and there's only fifty and people in the town like, so you know I'm like I'm like well okay well I kind of need that I don't live here. And, and the guy's like, don't worry. I know the like brother or boyfriend of the lady that we gave it to. And I'm friends with her on Facebook. I just sent her a message. So I definitely will have it to you by the morning and I'll drop it off. (laughs) So they did, they did. They got my ID back. Um, it was pretty ridiculous, but no, it's a great bar. And like everybody goes there, uh, when we're home and, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a destination. For sure. So that would be bar number one. Um, I would say the Club Cigar, which was the bar I used to sneak into before I was 21. <laughs> um, but it's a really cool, like actually like old old bar with um, 
like a lot of I don't know, like old wood and, and that kind of thing. And it like really was like a cigar bar back, back in the day. Um, so those would be the two bars. Activity. I mean, I feel like the sip and dip is an activity. I agree. Also, I agree. So I think I'm, I might like that. Might be a little bit of a cop out, but like I definitely you like you have to go to the sip and dip and just like you know experience partake. piano experience it for sure. All the the cast of characters, you know, just going in my head before we go over to ten touches. Uh, you know, you've just literally pitched the greatest show, maybe better than The Office, would be like a Great Falls, Montana show featuring Piano Pat <laughs> and the Mermans and Mermaids. So yeah, I I mean, just, there, there you go. It's great. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we were there. I was home for a, a decent amount of time. And um, the first weekend I was, I was home, we brought my sister and my sister and brother-in-law were in town as well. And we got there and found out Piano Pat was on vacation. It was like the saddest. It was the saddest night because it's just not the same. Uh, all right. We'll dive into uh, 10 touches. 30 second rapid fire question and answer. Uh, I'll try not to derail it too many times. I've got the first five. Who's the funniest person you ever worked with? Uh, Michelle Steele at ESPN. She's very sneaky, funny. She's like done some stand up before. I don't know if anyone knows that, but yeah, she's really funny. Yeah. Who was the best and the worst interview you ever did? Uh, worst, like on, on like a consistent basis, was Monte Ellis um, because he would say um every like two words, uh, and I had to interview him a lot because he was like one of the best players in the Warriors when he was there. So that would definitely be the worst. Um, I mean, best, I go, when I say best, I always go by like, who was like the nicest and like most accommodating for me, especially when I had to like ask them all the time. And Cody Ross was always like, if I really needed an interview, he, him or like Sergio Romo usually would, would always do an interview. So I always like appreciated them because especially covering baseball, like coming up to these guys, like every single day asking for interviews, I'm sure got really tiring, but they were always very accommodating. Uh, what's your current, I guess, like, what are you currently reading? And then what TV show are you currently binging? Uh, I'm not reading anything at the moment, but, um, I recently binged both seasons of Handmaid's Tale. Um, we just binged the latest season of Ozark, like over the weekend. Um, and then I had never watched House of Cards before last year. So I watched all of those episodes and my boyfriend watched them all over again with me. And so I think the last, the last season comes out in November, like right before the election. So. Yeah. Pretty, pretty quickly. I, I Ozark, like we, we tape a bunch of these in a row and Ozark just came out. Ozark's been the answer, like the last like six or seven people. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I was, I didn't realize it was only 10 episodes. So when it like ended and like, and then that was it. I was so confused. I was like, wait, no, that's not the last episode. And Justin was like, yep, that's the last episode. Yeah, I, uh, I, still have, I still have three left. Uh, Smalls and Dwayne Lee, our most recent guest, said that the ending is different. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, what, is, what is your hidden talent? Uh, hidden talent. I'm really good at catching like the shrimp in my mouth at Benihana. <laughs> um, that's that a talent. But they don't do it anymore. We were just there for a friend's birthday. Don't I don't think they do it anymore because I, I'm guessing somebody like choked at some point. But um, but yeah, when, back when they would like just flip them, like I would just like go like get like thirty in a row. Like it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I just like that's that's a great answer. Uh, what what's your most embarrassing on air moment? Uh, probably my very first live shot in Great Falls when I was an intern. It was just, I mean, I won't. It's a long story, and I tell really long stories as you probably we figured out. No, by we're, now, we but. we are also long story. This is we we love long stories. But. My friends call them yarns. Like they'll be like Jamie, yarn. A yarn. <laughs> this podcast yeah. is a yarn, so don't worry. This is a yarn, yeah, for sure, for sure. The twelve right. people listening, like you know, Small's mom will listen. My uh, my mother will listen. No, to my mom's it, out. She said she was out after well, the first two. And and I said the f word earlier, and she'll turn it off as soon as she hears me curse on the air. Really? That's the only yeah, it's the only criticism I ever get. I mean, there's a lot of things to be critical for, but every single time, without fail, like if I swear in an episode, she texts me and she's like, I mean. I taught you better than this. So this episode I said cathartic, <laughs> so that I, can, I think I got a one-for-one one policy. I think, yeah, you, you made up for it with that. Um, I mean, I'll try to tell the short version of it, but basically I was doing this live shot at the airport and these like big old like planes were landing. One of them was late, so we were set up in one spot and then last minute it finally came in. So my photographer tried to move the live shot and I didn't even have an ISB, like which is what we use like here the studio and like the director, like this is how small town it was at the time where I would have the reporter who was with me was listening to the simulcast on the radio and cueing me that way. And so she cued me. So I started talking and my photographer was not like, he wasn't like plugged into the back to the studio. So he's like started like giving me like the cut sign, like, no, 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 no. So I stopped talking and then he cued me again. And I restarted the whole thing. So of course the entire, the entire thing was on live. And also he wasn't ready. So like they take the shot where there, he's like zooming in on my face, like focusing. And I got back to the station and uh, my friend who was the sports director at the time, I was like, how bad was it? And he's like, you don't, you don't just don't watch it. <laughs> I was burn like, the, no, burn, I'm the, burn the tape. There, we know that. Well. I'm like, no, I'm watching it. I want to see what went out over the air. And it was pretty bad. I mean, it was, it wasn't as, as terrible as I thought, but it was still pretty bad. Luckily, somehow none of my family or friends like remembered to watch that night. So no one really saw it. <laughs> so you're good. You're clean. So Yeah, I'm good. Best I mean, sandwich. You can't, have the one that's named after you. What? Why can't the Jamie Sirewich? Well, I can't there, pick that there one. There you go. You plugged it. <laughs> yeah. Good. Stay on message. Um. Mm, well, I so I really love uh, the tortas from Tortas Frontera in the O'Hare Airport. Like I'm obsessed with them, and if I'm in O'Hare, I have to go unless like I'm absolutely about to miss a flight. But uh, they're all like really good. They're just like if you're ever in O'Hare. Can I ask one question? I meant to derail this a second ago about your most embarrassing on-air moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, to to kind of piggyback that question, what uh, was your social media reaction to your Chris Christie Little League World Series interview? Was that the most social media traction you got after a live shot? Uh, you know what the funny thing with that was those memes didn't start showing up until like four years later. Like somebody, like they, like a couple people mentioned something about it at the time. And we, we actually wanted a different angle. We wanted to stand up and he really wanted <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, I can imagine. You guys, you, guys were, you guys were right. I mean. 
Yeah. So we did it because like that's what he wanted to do. But um, but yeah, the memes started coming out only a couple years ago. It was so funny because it was so old. It was from like my first year of Little League World Series. It was like 2013 or something, and they just started coming out like a couple years ago. The memes. So if you if you Google for people that don't watch Little League World Series religiously, unlike myself, if you Google Chris Christie Little League World Series. You can see the picture of Jamie interviewing Chris Christie, and the caption under it is Chris Christie's balloon pants. <laughs> right. The best thing about the Little World Jeez. Series. No, the memes that started making this making the rounds were uh, when you jump into the pool <laughs> and your balloon trunks fill up with air. That's what that was see, the meme. So, so here's the thing. As, you know, obviously, we record these interviews, and and I keep a lot of laughter in because I think it's you know whatever. It's funny. We're authentic. But yeah. Like, I couldn't do that, James. Like, I couldn't sit there with a mic and talk to Chris Christie, like, look back and then look over and be like, I mean, you had to know the angle was terrible while you were doing it. I actually didn't because I didn't have, I just had my director in my ear saying, can we please, please ask him to stand up? And I said, he really does not want to stand up. And he said, (laughs) I mean, it's also possible, literally World Series, you know, concession prices are really low. So he might have had like 27 plastic helmets filled with soft serve before that. And I've gotten into mean food comas before. So I could understand that situation, I think. I don't know what happened, but I actually didn't know how I didn't know what it looked like until after. So I was like, I'm just going to do the, the questions that we already decided. And, you know, <laughs> I will. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I will say this and then I will go to the next question. My favorite thing about Chris Christie is him. Taking a little bag of M&M's and filling it up into a big box of M&M's. <laughs> Have you ever seen what? that? He takes a, like no. a, he has two hands, right? He's got a big bag of M&M's or like a box and he's got a little bag of M&M's. <laughs> he takes the little bag of M&M's and pours it into the big box. Pretty a jumbo box, which was a great fat guy move. I respected it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's a smart move, but you should all check out that video as well. But greatest, greatest sporting event you've ever witnessed? Um, the Giants winning <laughs> the Giants winning the World Series in 2010. For sure. Uh, bucket list item. There's, there's <laughs> actually one. There's actually an article that says Chris Christie explains his M&M strategy. Right, and it's on the, it's from the New York Times. Oh, we're going to keep going here. I, I, I just, I'm, so, I'm done. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Bu- bucket list item you haven't completed. Uh, bucket list item. Um, I mean, there's so many. I, it would probably have to be like somewhere like to visit. I mean, there's so many that I still want to go to. I really want to go to Cuba. Um, that's definitely on my list. Uh, so yeah, that would be, would be a bucket list. Yeah. If you could have dinner with three celebrity chefs, who would you choose? Can they be living or dead? Living, living or dead. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll put Anthony Bourdain on there. Um, and then maybe like, like Bobby Flay and Michael Simon, because I know they're friends. So I feel like that would be like just a fun dinner. Yeah, good dynamic. Yeah, yeah. that's really what you got to think about when you answer this question. Who's, who's, <laughs> what's, what's your answer to this question, Smalls? Oh, man. I don't know. Like, oh, man. It'd be tough for me. It'd be really tough. But uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, um, God, now I'm forgetting her name. The fuck. Everyone knows I love her is the blonde in chopped amanda freitag amanda fry all right i love amanda freitag 
and I love Jose Garces, so I'd like to put those two together. Now, I don't know Jose well. Um, he's on tough times right now. You don't know him well? <laughs> I, I, like, I don't know who his personality behind. Yeah. I just know he's on tough times right now. So I think I could get together, give him a few laughs, get him pumped up and motivated. Um, you know, I know his franchise has been taking a hit. So those are the two. I don't know. I don't know my third. I don't really have a third. But what dish would you choose to take down Bobby Flay? Your guess. Um, well, I don't think that that would be possible. I mean, he really. People ask me that all the time. He really is that good, and he does not know the secret ingredient or the secret dish or whatever. You know, he does not know that ahead of time. Um, he really is just like that good. So I don't think that I would be able to. But. Um, I do have like a wild boar ragu that I make and I love, um, but I don't know if I could do that in 30 minutes. That'd be pretty tough. I'd have to definitely use the pressure cooker, which is always a gamble. So um, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to do it though. All right. We have, we have faith. You Two future <laughs> podcast guests for us. Who should we bring on? Um, I think it'd be cool to maybe do like, um, so there's this guy, Michael Zagaris, who is the, I think he's still a team photographer for the A's and 49ers. I'm not sure. I mean, he used to be, he also did like a lot of like rock and roll photography, like in the like sixties and seventies. Um, so I think he would be really interesting. Um, Mike Murphy, uh, the giants clubhouse manager has like been there since day one. So, um, I think he'd, he'd have like a lot of stories. Yeah. All right, last segment, parting shots. Same two questions to every guest. Uh, what is the best advice you've ever been given? Um, it was never as good as you thought, never as bad as you thought. Um, that was given in relation to like live shots and shows in general, but I think it applies to just life in general also. It's, it's never, never as good as you think it was, never as bad as you thought it was either. And what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Uh, I would say your life is going to turn out completely different than you imagined. And that's, that's a good thing. Awesome. All right. I love, I love that. Quick and to the point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so that's it for us, Jamie. Thank you for coming on and talking to us for a little while. Also for putting up with me, just laughing uncontrollably at Smalls' Chris Crispy M&M story. <laughs> but uh, she is Jamie Sire at Jamie on Twitter, but it is J-A-Y-M-E-E. I'm certain you spent a lifetime of people spelling your name wrong until you hit Yeah, a- you all the it. time. So Yes. No, even after. I just still get spelled wrong, even by my friends. And then, <laughs> and then uh, at Jamie Sire, spelled uh, J-A-Y-M-E-E. S-I-R-E on Instagram. And then Jamie, anything else that's going on? Anything you want to plug? Anything we should look out for, you know, for people that are listening, if they want to catch you somewhere or anything else going on in your life? Yeah, actually, if you guys, uh, we talked about this before we we went on, but yeah, if, if anyone's looking for for some wall art, um, we have, a, we have a, a print shop up online at store.justinaharoni.com. Um, uh, I'll just be really quick on that, but we got a bunch of photography equipment stolen when we were in San Francisco last, uh, which is a huge bummer. So we are, yeah, we're selling prints to try and kind of make up for some of the losses. So go, go check it out. Go buy some, some art. We've got some cool stuff from around the country. So, uh, yeah, make a good addition to your home. All right. There you go. Everybody needs wall art. Uh, like I said, I'm sure when I go down to this puppy play date, I'll look at a spot on my wall and be like, you know, now that I'm getting old, I need more wall art to, to put in. Exactly. So, 100%. <laughs> All 
Well, thanks a lot, Jamie. Uh, and we will talk soon. But really appreciate you coming on with us. All right. Thanks for having me. 